This is Gross Anatomy, where pop culture meets health culture. Let's get to it. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Well, thanks for having me. We're live. Jason, do you want to say who we have here today? Who do we have here today? We have my... You know what? The funny thing about who we have here today, Dr. Suzanne Gilbert-Lenz, is that I feel like she's like one of my best friends from forever, even though that's kind of how I how I feel about you. Like, I, I feel like I've known you forever, and I feel like we kind of like, I feel like you're someone I would have grown up with, and just, I just kind of have that kind of thing. We do vibe, Jason. It's true. Yeah. We vibe. Yeah. We vibe. Is there and some background there? We had a long like... time passing in the in the stairway. That was the extent of our relationship. Hey, right. it was like a, it was like a nod. Hey, I don't. <laughs> yeah. and I don't know. Someday we started. Then when do we just started talking? It was funny. exactly. Sorry, I have a new kitten and she's yeah, who is very that? interested. Let's see. Going on. Let's see the she's cat. Super cute. This is Tina, or as I like to call her, Teeny. You can't... Oh my God, she's perfect. I've always wanted a black cat. She's my, precious. My daughter found her in a construction site down the street. Oh, I'm and she's a rescue. Yeah, we love yeah, that. Literally. Can I give no. a little intro for you? No, Is not yet, okay? not yet. Because today right. I was watching cat videos of like the cats laying under the blanket, like all tucked. I want one of those cats that just lays there like all tucked in in a blanket. Well, they don't do that for very long. No, I know. I mean, she's on everything right now. She's insane. It's fine. She's very cute. Okay, now can I give the intro? Now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And thank you, now guys. You thank you. Okay. A diplomat of the American College of Obstetrics. Am I saying this correctly? And gynecology. Yes. I've never yes. said that full word before. There we go. Suzanne Gilberg Lenz, MD, received her medical degree in 1996 from the USC School of Medicine and completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at UCLA Cedar Sinai Medical Center. Dr. Gilberg Lenz is involved in women's empowerment and public education and appears frequently as an expert in women's health and integrative medicine on TV, in print, and online. She is the author of menopause boot camp optimize your health empower yourself and flourish as you age welcome oh what a bio that's amazing what a bio. and you're my best friend <laughs> jason's best friend yeah apparently I, I i i so wish we we had more time in life and could we, we i know and you we, met my parents i did <laughs> that was i funny. love that yeah that was cute how did you meet her kids no, parents, her, my parents. Her, well, my dad and set mom. Yeah. They're kind of like, you know, her kids now, but seriously, that's what happens to parents. Yeah, totally. It her is. dad, actually, your dad is on staff at the hospital. Yes. My dad and I are the longest running father daughter pair. Although, my actually, that's not true. My dad just went emeritus in the last year and a half or two. He's, but he's 86. He'll be 87 wow. in September. Okay, yeah. that leads me to ask a little background. Can you tell yes. me a little bit how you got into Perfect. your, got this amazing bio that I just read for you? Well, I have no idea how any of that happened, actually. I woke up and I was like, whoa, what? Who are you talking about? I grew up here in Beverly Hills, and now that I am well into my fifth decade, I can say that unironically and proudly. I'm not, I have no concern Gotta be loud about and proud. What, what you think about that, because no one cares. But it was, it was a little subconscious for a while, right? 
LA, Beverly Hills, kind of weird. So I grew up in Beverly Hills. My dad is a physician. Uh, he's a psychiatrist. And I grew up in a very super, you know, surface-wise, very standard-looking. My mom was, had been a teacher but stayed at home when she had kids and, like, made macaroni art, you know, and drove carpool. I love macaroni PA, art. The best. Beans beans on cardboard frames right right exactly right. and you know did all that stuff and my my dad was actually a very involved dad which was very different in the 70s but they were actually really cool like we traveled all over the world very early and that that had a big influence on my on my perspective on medicine and just life and like how the world is a lot bigger than the small little pond of beverly hills and you know basically upper middle class jews who belong to country clubs and go to maui and Jewish summer camp, which is great and beautiful in many ways, but could be really limiting, was limiting for me. And I think I always really enjoyed people's stories. And that's how I ended up in medicine. I didn't do pre-med as an undergrad. And what did you um, do? What was your major? I did social psychology and art history. And I was going to ask if been, the psychology aspect interested you as, as you're interested in I stories. Did. I actually thought, I, I thought about psychology but then, you know, like I, I did my undergrad. I went to a liberal arts college. I moved to San Francisco. I had no idea what I was doing with my life. What college? And I ended up going to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. Yeah. A lot of really interesting, very intellectual environment, very, you know, social justice oriented. Very, it was like, it was a great place to be. And, and it was in the 80s, it was way more wild than it is now. Cause I know a lot of us have kids that go there and it's a great school, love my alma mater, but like it was way more off the chain when I went there. Like, <laughs> We'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to, we don't have to get you know, into detail. I'm you had the fun you, years. You and I have a lot more in common. So we were both art-ish, you were art-ish. Yeah. I was fine art major. Yeah, yeah. And your influential guy was your dad, who was a psychiatrist. Yeah. Mine was my uncle, who was a psychiatrist. Oh my God, Jason, we're like twins separated at birth. Exactly. That's why we like each other so much. Although, yeah. going through med school, did you like psychiatry? Not so much because... As it turns out, psychiatry, the way it has evolved is much more like medically based. And I think it got like interesting in neuroscience in some ways, maybe after I was there, but it really wasn't, I wasn't into it, to be honest. And I really, really, I actually loved surgery. I loved, I, which was a surprise to me. I mean, I, it's not like I went in thinking like, I want to be a surgeon. I absolutely didn't think I wanted to be a surgeon. And anatomy i loved the anatomy lab it scared the living crap out of me and so my response which is very you will as a surgeon understand so basically the way i dealt with it was we had our cadaver okay so in medical school you have your cadaver right there were four of us we named him homer we felt like we should have because the simpsons were very popular at the time and they all stared and i was like give me that knife i'll deal with i'll do this and i made the first cut which is really so traumatic actually gets really I mean, we could do a whole podcast on like how you become a surgeon, right? You have to like really numb yourself to a lot of stuff. So here you are interfacing with a dead person and cutting it up, which is really uck to huck. My, my first day of gross anatomy, I also was the first scalpel. I was so nervous. My hands were shaking. Of course, like, and it's like I, the, the person's I, dead. I was shaking. <laughs> what could you possibly do wrong? Was, Nothing. And then, but by the end of that four-hour lab. But it's such like, a taboo, right? It's such it. a taboo, and I got really into it. I mean, I was really into it, and I was like, okay, this is really cool. Had zero interest in the limbs, by the way. 
could care less yeah. ortho was not happening for me but i was like oh maybe i am going to want to do something surgical and i actually had an amazing positive experience on my general surgery rotation i was at usc at county hospital you know this is the early 90s we had the highest rates of penetrating abdominal trauma in the nation in la county it was really bad we had a horrific gang violence problem here and the response of the county was to bring a team in from Soweto South Africa where they had also obviously had a horrific violence problem penetrating abdominal wound problem and they started a protocol whereby when I started training if you had any abdominal wound so knife you know gunshot anything you you went immediately to the operating room well basically they they couldn't do it because there was such a high volume that they couldn't do it so they were like what the hell are we going to do what did these guys do in south africa and the townships they had initiated a protocol where a third of it turned out only a third of people really needed to go to the operating room and they brought the team here to implement to test out to see if it worked here and to implement the program so i was trained by these unbelievable og trauma surgeons and I, it just opened up a whole world to me. And I think had I been younger, I might've done general surgery, but spoiler alert, I felt as a woman, wasn't really up for that. It was so misogynist. And at the time at County, there were two female general surgery residents, two. Yeah. Well, and they you, were, one was the meanest person in the world and the other one, turned whatever. She that's sometimes up, how it uh, is. Anyway. It's like, you get so tough. I wonder if now, you had tried it, it would be a really different experience. Do you think that today, had you had a, a similar intro or do you think know. it's like the environment's I think, still similar? I, I don't know, I think I was, I think the environment's more similar than you might think actually. Mm -hmm. That we could again, do a whole podcast on that too, misogyny and medicine. I think that the people coming up are much more empowered and have more, feel like they probably have more of a voice than maybe we did, but there's a lot of politics involved here. And I think in the end, I wasn't meant to be a general surgeon. I, I really, I have no regrets. I mean, it so, seems you absolutely found your niche here as I'm yeah, reading no, your totally. bio. Like, yeah. totally. I want to hear more out. about how you pivoted. I've well, seen just, you. I mean, you do your rotations and you see what you're good at and you see what you like. And once I, when I did, I already had, I thought I was going to want to do OBGYN and I did general surgery and medicine before I did my OBGYN clerkship because Jason understands like I wanted to shine on that I had a feeling that's what I wanted to do because I liked like I said I liked the stories I liked talking to people I liked medicine I liked the thinking but I also liked the doing and I knew the only way I was going to find something that was going to combine the two in a way that seemed reasonable for me was that and then there's the obstetrics part you can't really explain that to people it's magical it's really hard but it is beyond it's so incredible to be a part of that experience for people so you know i got to do a lot of different things my first rotation was OBGYN, and i loved it and i and i thought i was also going to do OBGYN. but you know it was also pretty much all men for the most part back then too yeah yeah but i think you trained i mean i think i'm older than you but i i took four years off between oh no maybe not i don't know but i think i'm older than you i i think it was changing a little bit too. There was more and more of a an attitude like we should have more women in the field in OBGYN. And I know that talking to male colleagues of mine at the time, some of them felt a little bit like, oh, I'm not going to be wanted here. And mm. I don't know. Right. So it, you know. Yeah. Now, do you think it's kind of even? Are there more as many male and female OBGYNs? Probably in practice, but I think there's probably far more female residents 
than men. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. most of the women I know prefer to be seen by a woman for obvious reasons. Yeah, look, I have three yeah. amazing male partners who are extraordinarily popular mm -hmm. and have you know, are wonderful people. But I think, yeah, especially a certain age, mm -hmm. if you're just going to randomly pick somebody, I think women would prefer to go to a woman. And what I find is that when they get older and they get into perimenopause, they really want to go to a woman because they start, it happens all the time. They love their male doc. And the, these are guys that like got them through their pregnancies and getting pregnant and all that stuff. And now they're having, it's not really a problem. I mean, it's a problem because they don't know what, how, how to feel better, but it's not it's not a disease. Menopause is not a disease mm -hmm. and it's not emphasized. And they feel like they want to see a woman because there's this understanding in a different way. That, makes yeah, that sense. was a beautiful, that was a beautiful lead in to your, to your next mm -hmm. chapter in your book that you did. So have you practiced that segue? That was amazing. No, it just came out, man. That was that, It reminds like me. This in the morning. <laughs> I love that. She's so well-spoken. I worked in mental health for a little while, and there was also this big push for people wanting therapists that are like them, whether it be non-binary, if they're Black, if they're Asian, just because they're like, my human experience is hard to describe maybe to like a white male therapist if I'm a Black woman or whatever. Yeah. So we were working on where I was working of letting people kind of customize that, but it's hard because right? There might not be as many black female therapists as there are white male therapists. It's so a huge it, issue. It's a huge a issue in medicine in general. I think a lot of the problems that we're seeing with implicit bias and differing disparities in health outcomes is really very much a reflection of people not, not looking like their doctors or their doctors mm -hmm. not looking like people. I, I just, there's nobody who can convince me otherwise. And I think there are a lot of our colleagues that, and I feel like Jason is going to agree with this, who really think they're doing the best they can. There are some colleagues who really are not doing the best they can. They really are kind of a-holes. Sorry, they are. But I think a lot of people, go, most of us go into this and it's too hard to get through your training if you don't really have a heart for it. But then they don't know what they don't know, and they're not real open, and they're not very. You meant you were use the word hardened. They get hardened rather than softened by the experiences, and they get defensive, and they can't accept criticism, and they take things personally, and then they're missing stuff, you know. And it's like there's lived experiences that we just, as a white woman, I cannot understand. And if we don't have doctors that are reflective of the population that is being cared for we're not going to make the inroads that we should. Well, I think there's this fine line there. Like that's so true. I think what you're saying, and you want your doctor to be so confident, especially a surgeon. And then there's always this joke about doctor's egos. So I think there's got to be this level of confidence. And then also this, maybe this softened empathy that you can't always teach. No, that's just yeah, got, you know, you so teach it. I don't think you can teach it. Some I know people Jason have works that. hard to do that with his you mentoring. Know, I'm, go I'm going off script a little, but our last episode, Allie, Allie and my last episode, we talked about Dr. S uh, Suzanne Love. Oh, who, Susan Love. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. the breast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who I never got to meet. And she was just, did you ever get to meet her? I did. I did. But more because I'm a breast cancer survivor. So I was involved in the breast cancer community and she was a really extraordinary person. I was involved in the, her foundation a little bit. She did a really interesting project probably five or six years ago, maybe longer, where she had physicians who were survivors. And she brought us in and she had an institute and did this whole research project 
getting like the insights of doctors who had been patients and doctors because she herself was a lymphoma that's what she passed away from yeah. lymphoma and she was so brilliant like she was such a creative thinker in that way really really changed the way we looked at things I mean, even the little bit I read, it sounds like she brought this level of empathy of like, this was the patient experience. I brought a tape recorder because I know that they might forget everything they hear. Just that touch of, I think a little bit of a feminine touch in a space that didn't have it. It sounded like before her, Mm, she said she was mostly around men, added so much and maybe like opened other people's eyes. And then sounds like she made so much change. So she really did. What an amazing person. She was an incredible person. Yeah. Really incredible doctor. And then I recently saw you on the Drew Barrymore show. So tell me how your book ended up being, how did you end up on the show? Like, where's this pivot from practicing to just being a rock star? (laughs) You're funny. Well, first of all, I've been doing media for a really long time and that I fell into it probably almost 20 years ago, just because of where I practice, you know? So basically it started with like, Hey, um, your patient is on a reality show. This is like early reality days. And there, can we come and film her, get her ultrasound, you know, and you'd be like in the back, like with your white coat, doing, you know, like that stuff. So whatever, that's just like life in LA. It's kind of mm-hmm. weird here, but we do it. And somehow it just evolved. I mean, there is a story, but it's not that interesting. Basically, an actor patient referred me to somebody and it just turned into a whole thing. And it turned out I was really very comfortable on camera. So like this is how I present pretty much anywhere. On a Zoom, in the office, at dinner, on TV. I just, I'm unaffected by the camera, which is just a thing that I could never have known or planned for. And I didn't train for. You weren't a theater kid? I was, I did, I was, I was, there it I is. did, I did perform. That's true. I did perform as a kid all and through high school. And like I sang and acted and that kind of stuff. So maybe that, that is it, but maybe that's it. It probably is, but I hadn't done any of that since I was like a senior in high school. Okay. And I wasn't that good. I was a pretty good senior, <laughs> but I wasn't very good. At it was either. formative. There's apparently. a reason why I'm a doctor, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> that Hollywood career was not coming for me. So I think that was it. And I think this combination of just being sort of down to earth, relatable, but having something to say and saying it in a way that is like in normal English, that's not intimidating or judgmental mm-hmm. just worked. And so then, you know, look, it's like any other field. If a producer is like, I worked with her, she's easygoing and she's good on camera. It's pretty like, why are you going to look for someone new? You're just going to keep using the same person. So I just started doing that and it just sort of snowballed into stuff. And then when I wrote the book, I just tapped into people that I already knew and one of the first producers I ever worked with is now an executive producer at the Drew Barrymore show. And she's very interested in this content too. So it just was a perfect fit. And when I came on during publication week, they had me on, they were so wonderful and generous and did a whole feature on the book and menopause. And and it just, it went really well. And the audience was really into it. And so they just kept bringing me back. So I will, I will be a series regular next season doing 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 their health their health correspondence i'm not surprised congratulations thank you it was amazing i mean it's calming to have a doctor tell you things just like you're saying like in layman's terms this is what this means and even just google this if you want to know more about it yeah we can all educate ourselves a little bit now so it was really wonderful to hear you answer the questions and i really i really want to i feel really excited to have the opportunity to destigmatize things and this show has been the people on the show and it comes from the top you know we know this from any experience we have 
they really are devoted to educating people and giving them information and taking away stigma and shame. And they're doing it with a G rating, which is, there's actually a thing. So like there's certain things we, we can talk about them, but we can't say them. Mm. Like we can't, we can't talk about masturbation. We can talk about it, but we can't say that word. She keeps wanting to do a thing with vibrators. It's totally not going to happen. That's so Drew Barrymore. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, you have to use euphemisms and it's like, I don't care. What do you say? Oh, well, I mean, wh- we had a, a question from the audience last time I was there, and it was some, like, something about, I don't know, he said something, my soldiers are marching. I don't know. Oh, yes, I saw that one. It's yeah. so silly. He was it's silly. Yeah. So I, I was wondering, I was like, did he come up with that language? It's so cryptic. They like- gave him the language so that it would pass the censors. But it did come across. I, I understand what we he was saying. We knew what he was talking yeah. about. <laughs> it worked. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's it's true. Also, I think it's that time that we don't always get with our doctors. I think that that's what's nice is having you take the time to explain something. Sometimes it depends where you go. Like I have a doctor now I love and she sat with me and even asked me, do you know what this means? And I'm like, oh no. And I wasn't going to ask. So it's the time for you to explain this is what this means. You know, once I got this irregular pap, but I just saw it in my portal. And I was like, what does that mean? I was freaking out. I was like 20. And so I was like, does that mean I'm going to get cancer? Do I have HP? What does that mean? Yeah. And then I had to get her to call me to explain it. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's scary. And without knowing what to ask, you can just get really nervous. And then now it's like, okay, my doctor slows down and like, we have to find the right fit, I think. You have to find the right fit. But I think the other thing that people need to understand is that the way medicine is structured is that your doctor probably wish they had a lot more time and they don't because they Mm -hmm. don't, they're not going to, that office is going to close real fast if they see 10 patients a day. So it's, it's a very complicated situation. It Mm -hmm. has to do with insurance payments and how things are structured and how disorganized it is and it, it ends up not serving anybody. It's, It's not serving the patients like you who get scared or don't get the compassion and the education they need. And it doesn't serve doctors like Jason and I, who actually like really care about our patients and what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to work this hard and run around like a maniac and know that you're not like, you're doing the best you can, but you're not giving your patients everything they deserve. Yeah. I I pay a bit more now to go to a place. And that's when the service, I was just so upset. And my mom, I'd had so many experiences like that. And she was like, why don't you join this group and you pay a fee Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year and the experience is better. I couldn't have afforded that myself and I couldn't have afforded it before this age for sure. Yeah. So I, yeah, that's most people's experiences. The doctor's busy, you get, they're late and then you get five minutes and then it's the next thing. And I'm sure they feel spread then too. So it's a good, yeah. good point. I would also love to hear, I, it was interesting to hear the questions people ask. Do you have some repeat questions that you get? You can say anything on here. We're not rated G. Do you have re- a repeat questions that you get or things that are interesting to you that people are really uneducated about in their own bodies or their partners or something that people are kind of nervous to ask you kind of thing? Oh, yeah. It's really interesting, though, how it's shifted. I do feel like the younger generation is so much more informed in all this sex positive and body positive stuff has people come in asking questions as opposed to the past where actually what would happen is they wouldn't ask. So I learned that if I wanted to address certain things related to like sexual health, incontinence and menopause, I had to ask. I mean, that's why I wrote a book. I had gotten mm-hmm. so many questions about menopause and the menopausal transition and hormones and what's safe and what's not safe and how to fix this and how to deal with that and weight gain and vaginal dryness and hot flashes and blah, 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 brain fog. And that is why I started doing a boot camp, which is, I, I was the actual experience event and then wrote the book. I mean, that is, that was 
the question that was burning in everybody's mind. It's really interesting now, even look, the book came out in October. I mean, a book takes a very long time, right? I wrote the proposal. I sold the proposal in November of 2020 and mm-hmm. it came out in October of 2022. So this wow. was like marinating in my brain for a very, very long time, like, you know, long time. So now, oh, and now everybody's talking about menopause, which is great. It's great for me. It's great for the book. It's great for people who are heading toward it. But that I think was probably the biggest question I had. I think right now, because now I have such a menopause focus, I I get a lot of questions about weight gain a mm. lot. Oh, I saw, and I saw some woman asking too about postpartum hair loss. Mm. It sounds like people have more of those specific questions for you probably now that they know. I, th- I think the postpartum stuff, I feel like people are a lot more open about and have been for a long time. And mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of especially in this community where people have so much access to information and and good medicine. Mm -hmm. I don't find that they're not asking me questions about pregnancy and postpartum. Do you think the menopause, people weren't asking about menopause just because of a shame of I'm getting older and this is scary? Why do you think? Yeah. And also just like total lack of awareness. They were like, you know, and I still have it sometimes. And I'm like, are you living under a rock? They'll ask me all these things. And it's like, duh, this is obviously perimenopause and they just have no idea. And I'm like, and I have to be careful sometimes because some people less than even six or eight months ago, people almost take offense. Like I'm accusing them of mm. something. It's like, no, you're just still alive. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, to you, but it, my... yeah, it comes off yeah. as the stigma, like, oh, gross, disgusting, crusty old lady. Stuff. Yeah. Like, well, and I it, think part of the problem was that, like we were saying in the beginning, it was mostly male doctors probably i mean i hate to point the finger but i mean you know and it's also not an interesting surgical situation and menopause sort of fell neither nor it's like not endocrinology not medicine not OBGYN. it kind of got shoved into the purview of OBGYN, but then we don't get educated and i mean there's all sorts of data out there but there was a poll it's actually not that recent at this point but it's within the last decade showing that something like 85 percent of program directors OBGYN residency program directors and their residents did not feel confident in how to manage menopause once they had in their senior year you know, I mean, that's atrocious. So yeah. it's just, but look, you have four years to learn pelvic surgery, how to deal with pregnancy, pregnancy complications, you know, like office gynecology, sexually transmitted infection. It really, I don't think it should be one. I don't think it should be one specialty. I just, so of course, menopause is like, ugh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Figure that <laughs> we out. We have time. Right. <laughs> but everybody experiences it. Yeah, um, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's true. My other question for you is about this sort of shifting to writing as part of your career. Had you been writing before? Did you have any imposter syndrome? And now I'm writing. I'm a writer now. Or oh, did you yeah, have yeah. this experience? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I always loved writing. So, and as a little kid, I actually I wanted to be a writer. And I loved writing. And I always wrote. And I actually started doing some medical writing kind of casually here and there pretty early on. So I felt really good about that. And then I had done some storytelling workshops and some writing workshops. And I, I just, I felt good about that. Writing a book is a whole other thing. And I did have a co-writer because I had no way, I didn't understand how to structure a book. And I didn't have the arrogance to think that I had any idea what I was doing. And I didn't have the time really. So anything that's personal in the book, I wrote 
Mm-hmm. And then everything else was structured basically on my verbal delivery because we structured the book exactly the way I did these boot camps. And I mean, I that I did a lot of work on to organize and stuff, but then I basically just go in and I like, kind of go off the cuff and, you know, talk and what see would, what, what, what the people, the participants want to do. What would you tell someone who wanted to make a jump like that of a, I want to try this thing I haven't done? And I would say get some help and support. I mean, it's really very different. I will, one of the things that I did that was really, really eye-opening and excellent for me was the narrative medicine program at Cornell. At the time, it was the only program. You can go do a master's there. They now have them here locally. They have them at a lot of universities, but the program is designed to use narrative as a therapeutic tool it's really interesting but also for the clinician to explore opportunities in writing so a lot of authors people who have written books big books have who are physicians have come out of that program Mm -hmm. so that was a really great experience for me too tell me more about that program i i never even heard about it really interesting i'll send it to you i mean they do a lot of they'll do a lot of online workshops you can go for a weekend and do a weekend workshop which is what i did and i think had things in my life been different maybe i would have considered doing a master's i mean there's no i'm not going to do that now Uh, and at the time you i would have had to move to new york city to do it i think they have one at usc and at ucla now too super interesting one of the things that we did i mean it was kind of like writing workshops here's a prompt and you write but the prompts were like experiences with with patients or you know i i don't know whatever it's again it's using it's it's dual purpose it's using writing as a therapeutic tool for patients because it can be really beneficial for patients to express themselves patients undergoing chronic disease management chronic pain cancer Mm -hmm. what have you and having a place to feel heard and also to explore their own experience and feelings about it and then of course the clinicians are much more aware and are developing that empathy and that compassion because they're understanding and they're hearing that person. It's a person to person experience. But then as the clinician, as a physician, having the opportunity to express yourself, I mean, we, you know, we were joking and I was saying cutting open a dead body is traumatic. I mean, medicine's a really, to say it's an intense field is really putting it mildly. And the amount of experiences that we have near death, death, having to pronounce a death, you know, go in and be like, you're the person who's this person is dead. It's a big deal. Do I remember the first person? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I will never forget it. Having to go talk to somebody uh, to, to tell them their loved one has passed away, talking about to your patients about a bad outcome, about a complication, nursing people through trauma, real trauma. It's traumatizing to us. We're human mm-hmm. beings and we don't get a lot of training in how to deal with that. So having a place to unpack that, I think an unburden it is really, really, it's really helpful. It's really healthy. It's really eye-opening. It's really, I think it's really empowering. And as a person who always really, I'm a creative in a scientific field. So that can be lonely and difficult because you do not feel like the others, right, Jason? I know, you know, we're both fascinating and charming and people are like, what's that? I want to know more about that. But then you're also like, I totally cannot relate to you as a person. I don't get you're not as analytical you are and you think you get me and you don't trust me you know what are you gonna do so it is what it is i think it makes us better doctors but we're a little bit of weirdos in the field i think it's changed now with social media and people being 
more out there and creative in some ways. But I, so I'm going off. But the, those were those were ways that I kind of dipped my toe in and was like, wait a second, I really want to do this. And honestly, a mentor of mine took me out to dinner and was like, what are you doing? You need to write a book. And I was like, who, you, who, was, who was the mentor? His name is Mark Tager. He is, he's not a physician here. He lives in uh, down in San Diego and he hasn't practiced medicine for a very long time. He's really a educator and entrepreneur. And he's a major role model of mine because he's done things his own way. That's he, awesome. he, and he said to me, he's like, you have more to say and you need to do it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was right. He's usually right. I try to listen to him. How do you, how did you know him? How do you know? Him? I met him because I had been invited by a device company to give a talk at a conference. They had trialed this, the, the, actually the Amcella chair, which I don't, which I did a demo on Drew Barrymore. Um, they, we had done a trial in my office and then I had a small pilot study that I did with them. And so they brought me, they sent me to a conference to present it and he introduced me and we just clicked. And he was like, who are you? He's a really interesting dude. Started in integrative medicine before the pandemic, not that long, maybe like four, four or five, four years ago. And he became a mentor. For oh you. yeah. We're super close. That's amazing. Yeah. He knew that I wanted to be in medicine, but be out of medicine and do both. And, and he was like, okay, come with me. I'm going to show you how you do this. That's amazing. Yeah. That you found him. Yeah, totally. Kismet. Are you and a believer in manifesting? Yes. Okay, I think it sounds like you manifested this. It's... I'm a big manifester. I can't but also that. I'm a like, doer. I don't have a vision board. <laughs> <laughs> but a doer, I mean, the dipping the toe in, I think that's an underrated. You say that in passing, but you taking those the classes, it sounds like you took before this even, of the writing and narrative class outside of medicine and finding a mentor. Those little things weren't little things well, in the listen, end, right? Remember I told you my parents took us all over the world. Mm. So I had a lot of experiences of curiosity, humility, adventure, appreciation for other cultures, for other ways of being, having to be spontaneous because, you know, this hotel is really not okay. And we're, so we're not staying here. I mean, my mm -hmm. dad once, I've told this story so many times, when, one time we got on a train and my dad looked at my mom and was like, no, we're not, we're getting, this is not. And the train was starting to slowly roll out of the station and we jumped off the train. He's crazy, but, but he has but an I mean, intuition. That was, my child. that was the way I was raised, y'all. I mean, I know so that's why I'm saying it looked like Beverly Hills, but it was not. So that was it. My, my that's why I, my parents were intrepid travelers. My mother strapped on a backpack for her 60th birthday and hiked the Compostela de Santiago alone, which is the pilgrimage trail across the country of Spain. My parents are amazing. That is amazing. It sounds right, like so they're very in touch with intuition which I think that's the thing that you can accidentally quiet is you have those gut feelings. And if you follow those, that's manifesting, you know, but you keep passing them up and you, yeah, you kind of get lost there. Yeah. Yeah. That's Are you amazing. like that as a parent too? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. You have to ask my kids, but I think my kids have had a lot of adventures and I gave them a lot of free reign and look as a working mom. And I had a really serious career and was working very, very hard, harder than I had anticipated I would. You know, my ex-husband was out of work for a really long time. So then I was like, had to work really hard. So then my parents, my kids kind of had to be really independent. And I mean, listen, they're still Gen Z, but they had a little, a little Gen X sprinkled in there. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm not around, you know? <laughs> and I did, I, they've traveled a lot with me and both my kids have traveled extensively on their own. My son, some of it may just be genetic. He went on these medical missions to Myanmar in high school 
Wow. But you can't go there now. And the second year he went, at the end, the group was traveling for fun. And he was like, you know, I did that last year. I don't really want to do this. And just didn't tell us and got on a bus and rode across the country to to get from Myanmar to Bangkok to change his flight and just did this at 17. I want to, and then called me and was like, hey, mom. So I'm in Bangkok. I left early. And I was like, wait, I'm sorry, what? the hell did you just like how'd you get to bangkok he was 17 part of me was like wow that's badass that kid is amazing (laughs) he just like he took a took a bus by himself with nobody spoke the language and was just like i'm gonna do this and so part of me was like i don't need to worry that much about this kid because he's apparently resilient Mm -hmm. he's got that that inner voice too it sounds like he listens to we have to have him on next i think oh my god he's so crazy (laughs) what is he doing He's an artist. He's actually just came back. He was in Nashville at a hip hop invitational, believe it or not. It was very exciting. And he does a lot of odd jobs to make money. He works at the Beverly Hills Juice Club for any of you who are local to Cedars. It's very close to Cedars. And he sells mushrooms at the farmer's market and he- Magic mushrooms? That's what he wants to do. No, No, they don't sell those. They're legal. You can't sell those. Uh, They don't sell them at the farmer's market. People ask them all the time. I'm sure (laughs) they do. Fancy gourmet mushrooms. I love that. Mm-hmm. I probably met him there because I'm at the farmer's market buying yeah. mushrooms a lot. So next like time- 20 I'll, bucks for that little thing. I know. I'll clock him and I'll say, <laughs> I've heard about Myanmar. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be completely, completely blindsided. <laughs> Your other kid? My daughter, Georgia, just graduated. She's an artist. She graduated from Bard College. She has a bachelor's in fine arts and she is- going to be moving to New York at the end of the summer. She's got a job waiting tables somewhere for a little while. So they're, they're pretty industrious, the two of them. I love did it. Did you encourage the arts in them or how They're that- artists. I, I didn't discourage it. I was like, I know, well, I know better than to try to beat something out of them. That's who they are. And if they can make a go of it, I want them to be who they are. I don't know. I love that. My mom's very similar. And also I had a single working mom and she was always she had this phrase too she would say trust the what was it the warning in your stomach the feeling in your heart and the voice in your head she was like intuition all the time because I was also very independent I went to China at 15 and I went wherever and she was like just if you have a bad feeling go same thing very much you know what's good so yeah it's been this almost this at that age it's harder because everyone's we're going here and you think she do what everyone's doing. So she's been yeah. very yeah. good about instilling that. I think that that's wonderful. That's and then my other question for you is, of course, as a mother and someone who works in women's health, how did you or would you have done like the sex ed class differently? I'm doing air quotes because everyone had this different experience. I had one PE teacher who did it one way. I had one teacher who did it another. You have it well, like first of all, I wouldn't have the PE teacher do it. Yeah, and he and he was also the football coach. If oh that no, gives. always. Yeah. I know. Yeah, always. The I know. Coach. This is. Oh, and everyone's just cringing, and also like they do it way too late. First of all, I would do it so much earlier than it's done. I mean, it depends on what school you go to. So my kids went to Jewish day school, which is mm-hmm. funny. And it wasn't like a really, it wasn't like a super conservative environment, but they had to kind of walk the line. And so they sort of tried to be as progressive as possible without offending the people in the community who were more conservative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it never worked because there was always like a fight. There was always some kind of a fight that would bro- break out with the parents. Why are you telling them these things? It's like, because they need to know, man, you know, but I think that they did a pretty good job because they have like a psychologist who have 
some some educational she had not not some she had a lot of educational experience and so she was capable of teaching the kids and the parents but i think that it needs to start much earlier i think third grade you know people need to be like maybe younger like you start them early sex education starts with just body education like bodily autonomy understanding what your body does and what a beautiful thing that is framing it as a beautiful wonderful thing i can't totally see what's behind you but i see kind of what it says it's and a, that like take your pleasure seriously yes right so we don't have to go straight at, at, at nine years old to freaking sex you know but listen i had a patient the other day who told me who that her you know little kids masturbate they touch themselves and it feels good that we need to destigmatize. So it starts with this is your body. Your body is an amazing miracle, period. End of sentence. Mm -hmm. And then you build on that. And then you build on how to be safe, how to take care of yourself, how to use your intuition to not get into situations that are not okay, how to try to get out of situations that are not okay, consent, all of that stuff. I think it's not really magic. I think it's just about being really direct and then asking questions. Again, I always come back to curiosity and humility for, for everything. It's kind of the answer to everything. That's how we learn. Mm -hmm. So we don't even necessarily know how to teach if we don't ask people what information they need. You know, right. Suzanne, that's what's Suzanne, missing is the question. I think yeah. I think we just found your next book. <laughs> oh, a children's book. Yeah. yeah. I think this is, I seriously oh, think wow. we just found your next mm -hmm. book. Oh, thanks, guys. How beautiful that would be. Oh my uh, god, it never occurred to me to do that. But that's, yeah. that's really sweet. In yeah, the you, forward, you have to thank Gross Anatomy <laughs> Podcast and Ian Alley. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, it's, it sounds like that first step that, I mean, kids need, but I think everyone needs is like stripping away that shame that you mentioned even with older women is telling kids like, this is okay. And this is your body. If and you it's have okay. kids like that, you're not going to have older women who enter into menopause feeling terrible about themselves and thinking right. that they need to continue to look a certain way or that they don't exist. That doesn't mm -hmm. even happen. If someone enters into that part of their lives feeling okay about themselves yeah it's such a shift though it's like a big sociological shift it sounds but it is it's it's starting that young that's amazing well i can't wait for this book to come out <laughs> uh, um also before i we have a little wrap question but before that i want to hear i heard you mention a boot camp is this can you tell me about that yeah, well, the the book Menopause Bootcamp came out of Menopause Bootcamps that I was holding. What I was finding, Allie, was that I didn't have enough time in, you know, a patient encounter to really address all the the questions that they had. And the other thing is that when I would give a talk about anything, when question and answer would come, everybody would be like, "Can you talk about bioidentical hormones?" You know, like it didn't matter if I was what I was talking about pregnancy; they wanted to know about hormones. Mm -hmm. So I knew people needed more information. So I started doing these boot camps here in LA where it was a two to four hour experience of definitions, terminology, questions and answers, solutions and problems, uh, a fitness session with my former boyfriend, who's an amazing fitness pro and has been doing this work for decades. And, you know- And he was definitely not an expert. <laughs> uh oh, yeah, that's a little inside joke there. But uh, and and really weaving in my integrative background, we didn't talk about, but I have a background in Ayurveda and herbalism, and so I have a, sort of the conventional chops, but I have a lot of knowledge of non-traditional ways of managing these things, a lot of lifestyle medicine, mm. you know, spirituality, and I really thought people were coming for the educational aspects and they were but we all left with community which was one of the biggest lessons for me and it's been the biggest lesson for me in this whole involvement in the menopause 
world is how much community I see growing in order to destigmatize, to support one another, to get the information out there. And even amongst the, those of us who are the educators and the quote experts, for me to not feel like the weirdo in the room anymore and to really find my people who care about these things and who are willing to say the things out loud that other people maybe weren't willing to, it's been really amazing, like so gratifying in ways that I could have never anticipated. So I still do the boot camps occasionally, not as much. The mm -hmm. cool thing is that I've created a certification program because people really want and need these opportunities for education and community building in their own communities. And I don't feel, not only do I not have the time and the interest, but I, it's not appropriate for me to come into your community. I don't understand your community <laughs> in Compton or in Cincinnati, the way mm -hmm. I understand my community here, but here's mm -hmm. the template. So that will be, we're putting the, it'll be available, I'd say probably end of this month or August. Okay. And, and people can purchase that and train and then do their own boot camps in their own community. Cause I see it as a movement. That's beautiful. Yeah. I was going to say two things. One is it sounds like it could be a lonely experience. So that's amazing for a group to find each other. And then two, where can people access this? Is it on your website? And then they yeah, can download yeah, it from there. It, exactly. I mean, you'll be able to purchase it probably directly from the website. We're working on the marketing right now. And anybody who's interested in what's going on with me, the best thing to do is probably just go to my website or to, I'm the most active on Instagram, but Insta will be linked there. So it's www.thedrsuzanne.com, the Dr. Suzanne. You guys can put it in the notes. Amazing. Yes, I will put it in the notes. And then I always, always ask at the end of this podcast is what are you consuming right now? What are you listening to, reading or watching? So podcast. Oh. Well, I mean, I got movies. into podcasts during the, during the pandemic. I didn't really have a lot of time. To, I mean, I live like a mile from my office in the hospital, so I'm not in the car that much, but I started taking these really long walks and listening to podcasts. I, I actually just started listening to Julia Louis-Dreyfus's new mm. podcast, Wiser Than Me, I think it's called. It's really great. She interviews women who are older than her. It's oh, yes. fantastic. She had like Carol Burnett. I just listened to him in the middle of the Jane Fonda one. It's really, really, really touching and beautiful i'm actually i love revisionist history malcolm gladwell's pod i think it's super interesting and fun and he's just like idiosyncratic and crazy and smart i actually i actually really got into armchair experts oh <laughs> yeah no me too i listen to all those and i first actually heard J julia louise dreyfus talking about her podcast on glennon doyle's podcast uh -huh, and uh -huh. she described it so beautifully and i haven't listened to it yet but it's you're great. inspiring me it's to, great i will and then there's a weird one called Desert Oracle that I got really into. I have a house mm. out in the high desert and I'm just like weirdo high desert culture. It is just weird. We'll just say aliens, artists. No, I love it. Heads. I don't know. It's like really strange. That's entertaining. I don't watch a ton of TV. I just started watching 1923, which is one of the prequels to Yellowstone. I hear Yellowstone's fantastic. Oh. And, but I don't know. We started watching 1923 and it's actually, it's really good. It's okay. Like a yeah, Western yeah. movie every single night it's great it's a good love story yes yes dr cohen i was gonna say i think you have some things to say about yellowstone uh-oh well i you know what i've been really quiet i've been enjoying the two of you going but you know yeah i've kind of just been sitting back and 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 just enjoying this show that, that i feel like <laughs> oh that's I'm so watching, great listening to a podcast which is amazing i i just need to say a few things one we didn't say it before. This is your second time on our show. So yes, best thank friend. You. Thank you for having me back. Thank you. We <laughs> had you early in the pandemic. Now, now we have you post-pandemic. So thank you for being a second timer. 
in terms of shows, you know, in terms of talking about sex education and menopause and stigma and all that stuff, I want to ask you if you've heard of or watched either the show Sex Education. I haven't. Oh my which, gosh. I don't which watch is, TV, you guys. I live in a cave. Just have you, have you heard of it? Yes. And Are you saying I have to watch it? I, well, I think it's homework. It's homework. It's, uh, what's her name? She was from uh, um, Mulder and Scully. What was what was Oh, um, oh my God, I can see her. Gillian Anderson? Yeah, Gillian, yeah, 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 yeah. And she plays a psychiatrist uh, or a, ther- a sex therapist, and her son assumes Otis. this role of school you know, on his own, get kind of getting into trouble, he kind of becomes a sex therapist for his classmates in his school. Oh, oh because okay, of his that mom's sounds experience. good. I, n- I need to try that one. Now. But it's a cute okay. show. And I, I think, you know, from your standpoint, it would be interesting, your thoughts. My only other thought is, have you heard of the show Big Mouth? Yes, yes. Have I have watched? I have seen, I saw some early episodes and I kind of just fell off. I mean, I, I happen to be a big fan of that whole that whole crew. I love Nick Kroll. I loved the Kroll show. I loved it. Jenny Slate, I'm a huge fan of. Love her yeah. too. She's not on anymore. Is is John Mulaney in it too? Oh my God, he's know. so funny. Oh, yeah. I, so I love that whole kind of group of comedians, but I have seen it. And what I've seen is astounding. It's crazy. It's so I crazy. mean, I, I almost think, you know, we're talking about sex education. I almost think that if that show was like mandatory viewing for kids going through stuff. Yeah, I feel like it. It's so helpful to some yeah. degree. Like yeah. it makes, you know, the abnormal stuff. No, it makes everything normal. It exactly. lets you realize that you're not a freak. It's yeah. approachable. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing because yeah. you do feel like a crazy person, which happens again in menopause. You feel like you're crazy. Same yeah. feeling of like out of control. So fun. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I still remember being really confused at 14. I'm like. Yeah what's happening so that makes sense that's feeling familiar well thank you we appreciate your time so much and and your movement and your boot camps i'm excited to share that in the notes and people to check those out thank you for coming on the show and dr cohen any other wrapping notes for your best friend (laughs) my only other wrapping note is when are we going for coffee i know i don't know we'll we'll take this offline buddy this week let's get coffee no let's hear let's hear your schedules my schedule is crazy but I, well, I'm open. I'm open. I I gotta tell you, what time? Love, you're busier than me. You're always in the OR. I don't know, but I love the fact that you're in this kind of new phase of your life where you're making sure you're taking care of me, taking care of you. <laughs> right? I love that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Now that my kids are out of the house, I have a lot more time for my cats and for Jason Cohen. My no, no. I don't mean me. I mean me time. I meant I meant me time. No, it's a, it's crazy and it's so fantastic. And my life has been a whirlwind and I actually am slowing down and like doing all these things that I ask other people to do, you know, like sleeping, journaling, exercising, yeah. drinking water. Yep. There's some things people can't. Yeah. When you yeah. find the time, you can do it. Yep. Yep. Well, make the time. I'm going to wrap the recording and let you guys schedule offline so you guys can take sure. that coffee For date. Sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you again so much. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you so much. It was so delightful. I really appreciate you having me on again, Jason. Great to meet you, Allie. Of course. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. 
As a reminder, gross anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.